This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Untamed Heritage, the unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining and informative fashion as only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Texas raised hunting products, the scent gods. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, calling his calls made. Double nickel taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. I have the great honor and pleasure this morning to sit in the early morning dawn in Marathon, Texas with Greg Simons with Wildlife System. Now, y'all know Greg very well from a lot of different ways, including this great story of Hank that keeps reoccurring, and you hear him chuckling a little bit about that. If I'd taken something like Hank, I'd still be sleeping with him, I think. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am. Well, see, now we know the truth. I, I thought so. Well, I knew one time when you and I were camped together, I looked over the, the bed you were sleeping in, there was there was Hank right next beside you. <laughs> That's correct. That's the Omni. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I've been out here with Greg, just completed an absolutely fantastic pronghorn antelope hunt. And I thought we'd visit this morning a little bit, just kind of in general about pronghorn, and maybe more specifically about pronghorn in, in the western part of the state of Texas. And I know you've done some things up in the Panhandle in New Mexico, and you've hunted pronghorns elsewhere as well, too. But tell me a little bit what makes to you this area of Texas so truly unique in terms of hunting for pronghorn antelope. Yeah, I think there's several features, Larry. And first, let me say thank you for having me back on your show this morning oh heavens what this is not this is not the last time <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate that i look forward to the next time but no it's a it is it's a special part of the of the world out here if you look at the at maps of the lower 48 states and, and locate uh, an area that has the fewest amount of highways on it 
this is one of those areas. It's just a You're right. big unscathed uh, part of the world, and it's pristine. Uh, and to me, that in itself makes it uh, quite unique and quite special. But the diversity of plant life and wildlife out here, you know, we're in the Chihuahuan Desert, and to a passerby, they might think, ah, you know, this country looks, uh, it looks like the desert, and it is, it but is. <laughs> uh, when you start looking at things on a bit more of a micro basis, there's really uh, a lot of diversity out here from topography to the different type of soils to the plants to the birds. It's a bird watcher's delight in this part of the world. We have black bears, mountain lions, mule deer, elk, whitetails, pronghorn antelope, um, you know, javelina and, and desert bighorn sheep. We have several named mountain ranges, including some that do not have a name. It's just a really, it's a diverse, unique, big, unscathed piece of real estate. And I think that makes it quite unique. It really does. There, to me, this is quite frankly one of my favorite places in Texas, if not in the world. I, I love this relatively high desert. And the, as you mentioned, the diversity, this was a relatively short hunt uh, in terms of days, but uh, the experiences of those days makes this like a two-day hunt seem like a, a two-week hunt in, in a very positive manner. As you mentioned, the animals that we've, that we've seen is, while on our hunt, we saw you had badger to it and squeaked up coyotes and, and uh, of course saw elk and saw whitetail and saw mule deer and in a tremendous number of pronghorn antelope. This area to me is, is I've hunted pronghorn in New Mexico, Wyoming, Colorado, and uh, maybe one other place. But this is my favorite place, to, and it, it has to do with the habitat, has to do with the terrain, has to do with the animals, and it has to do with you guys as well, too, because I'll tell you what, when it comes to outfitting, there's nobody finer than Greg Simons Wildlife Systems and the guides that you have and the, and the, the meals. Oh, my gosh. The meals that are served. <laughs> yeah, you generally don't lose any weight in no, that camp. No, you come out here and amaze. <laughs> it's always amazed me, honey, with you, is I can get out there and I can work my tail off walking, crawling, and when we go back home, I've gained six, seven, eight pounds, and that may only be in three days. <laughs> oh, boy. What, what about these pronghorn? Of course, these are native animals, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, they've kind of taking on the chin there for a while didn't they they did yeah back um through approximately <coughs> 2006 7 8 9 through there a lot of these localized herds out here in the trans-pecos uh, crashed and in a matter of two to three years the numbers literally crashed and at first uh, a lot of folks that are wildlife specialists either with the state or borderlands research institute private landowners, private biologists were scratching their heads in terms of what was going on. And um, it's pretty much been decided that the main culprit was, was a parasite that sets up shop in the abomasin. It's called a barber pole worm. And uh, some of the sampling that they were doing, not only with samples they were pulling from animals, but fecal pellet samples, they were finding heavy loads of barber pole worms and barber pole worm eggs in those fecal samples. So. Um, after a couple of years of letting things kind of settle down and hopefully allow that parasite to run its cycle, in 2011 there was a joint effort between multiple private landowners, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, um, uh, some different hunting organizations that helped provide some funds, 
um, and, 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 and Borderlands Research Institute uh, combined an effort and did the translocation uh, project from the Panhandle out here to the Trans-Pecos. Unfortunately, that year, what we didn't know, uh, that translocation took place in late January, early February. What we didn't know was going to happen, that, that was you know, one of the, if not the, uh, most harsh drought on record in modern history in this state. And so most of those pronghorns that were part of that translocation died. And, uh, and as you might expect, uh, the different people that were part of that effort were, were kind of reeling for a period of time after that, trying to figure out, you know, where to go from there. And so 2012 um, uh, was a bit of a, um, a deferred period. And then 13, the next translocation took place. And for the next several years, all the way up till... Uh, current times, there's been a, uh, a translocation from the Panhandle of Texas take place out here to different private ranches in, in, in the Trans-Pecos take place annually. And this property that you hunted was the recipient of some of those animals in 2013. And, uh, and as you can see, that herd, it's just been on a positive trajectory ever since. We've had some good fawn crops, the adult animals have done well, the landowner does a great job of managing, you know, the habitat for the animals uh, with the, uh, you know, the forage conditions, the, the fawning conditions, the water distribution, uh, predator control, and, and the herds responded well to it. So it, uh, in that sense, it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's rewarding, it's enlightening to be able to hunt a property that now is, is approaching the capacity of what that whole herd unit can support and be able to be a part of harvesting some of those those amazing animals and being a part of this this conservation story well it's truly a conservation story in so many different ways but as a hunter in this instance and, and as a wildlife biologist i spent a lot of time as you mentioned looking at vegetation and looking at the quality of the animals in terms of quality meaning not necessarily horn size but that is a part of it but more from a health perspective and what I've seen here is that there was a substantial fawn crop last year, and I had the pleasure of being out here last year to hunt with you. And same thing from what I've seen this year, there was an excellent fawn crop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, last year we had roughly a 90% fawn crop, wow. which is almost unheard of with pronghorn antelope in the Trans-Pecos. And uh, so lots of babies got added to the population. This year it was roughly about a 60% fawn crop, which is actually higher than what meets the eye because all those babies that were added to the population last year, those does are now one-year-olds and they're not carrying fawns because they didn't breed up as a, uh, as a fawn last year themselves. So you have all those one-year-old does that are added to the adult population and they get figured into that fawning rate and, and it naturally, you know, statistically just brings that percentage down a bit. So if you were to figure that into the into the calculus, we're probably looking at close to an 80% fawn crop this year. Yes. So yes. you know, having a 90% and an 80% stacked on top of one another in this part of the world, it, you're in the pronghorn business. You're in the pronghorn <laughs> business. And again, looking at now those younger animals, they would probably breed this year. Don't mm. they breed like it at, at a two-year-old most yep. of the time? Yes, yeah, and, and often as a one-year-old. And, and, and often uh, as a one-year-old, so yeah. I get a feeling based upon the fawn crop we had last year. And that's reflective, too, in the number of young bucks that we saw. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no question that even if you didn't know what the percentage was, just looking at the number of young bucks that are out there this year. 
there's a we're in the pronghorn business yeah here. yeah and it's a it's a nice pipeline of uh of age cohorts that we have out there like you say there's a ton of one-year-olds and uh but there's a lot of two-year-olds three-year-olds four-year-olds yes. and then it starts tapering off as many big game populations right. do when you get start getting up into those age categories but we've got a great pipeline of age classes that vary from fawn bucks on up to, to five and six year old bucks and that that provides uh, resiliency it provides sustainability from a herd harvest um, uh, standpoint and uh, and it gives you something to to, to make your plans around going forward over the next few years. Absolutely, you mentioned the uh, the age classes. In your opinion, when does a uh, pronghorn antelope have his better better to best horn development? Yeah, you know, one of the nice things about pronghorns, from a uh, a herd harvest standpoint, a lot of these bucks um, will occasionally have their longest horns at four years of age. Four years and, of age. Uh, they will often continue to put some mass on and. Uh, maybe put some prong length on, but the, the horn length is sometimes maxing out at, at four. Not always, but, but occasionally. So by four and five years of age, um, you know, those are prime animals to be, uh, to be harvesting, and uh, you don't have to invest quite as much time in them as you do a big mule deer or big elk. And uh, so it creates efficiency in terms of being able to to, to, to make that herd uh, work for you economically. and uh, But four and five years is what I would consider to be the right age, if it's a fee-based hunting program, the right age to be taking those animals. If somebody's not very familiar with, with pronghorn antelope, and they do lose their horns every year, they're the only of the true horn species that do so, that, that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. But if, if a hunter comes out, they're gonna be with a guide here. And that guide is going to do his best for them to shoot a mature animal, among other things. But what for somebody that hadn't have any idea about judging mm -hmm. at length or, or even mass or that kind of thing, what are some of the key factors that you suggest that they look at, maybe to study mounts or photographs to get mm -hmm. a better idea before they come hunting sure. with you? Yeah, and they can be tricky to, uh, to judge for someone that has not looked over a lot of pronghorn bucks. And you're right, uh, one of the neat anatomical features of the pronghorns um, is the fact that not only are they, they the fastest land mammal in North America, which you're most well known for in terms of yes. their features, but, uh, but they're also the only horned animal on this planet that annually sheds part of its horn, the outer sheath. And they're also the only horned animal on this planet that has a split or a prong a fork you know off of the the main horn so and anatomically they've got some very unique features as far as judging them um, you know the the prong in the mass adds greatly to the score and uh and generally as a rule of thumb generally if they have really good prongs they often have good mass as well and uh the horn link can throw you some of the some of the bucks that are the most misleading are those that the horns go up and they don't curve back around like your classic heart shape. They go up and they maybe tip in slightly. So they don't curve over and it makes them look taller than they actually are. And when you've got that curve working for you on those heart shaped 
pronghorns, that outer measurement around that outer edge, the, the length just starts adding up more than what meets the eye. So those that are truly kind of those heart-shaped uh, pronghorns are often the ones that are going to have the greatest horn length as opposed to one that goes straight up and just tips in slightly, that looks longer. And, uh, but, uh, you know, having the prongs that come off, uh, you know, uh, at about the top of the ears is one of the things to look for. And uh, how much he has above the prong is another thing to look for. You know, for me, um, the big ones just look big. And, uh, and, and as soon as I, you know, get my binoculars on them, and sometimes even we, with your naked eye, you can just see a lot of black. A lot of black, top, exactly, right. And when that black is really pronounced and it stands out, uh, it's, it's, it, it becomes apparent that he's got a lot of horn material on top of his head. And those that are spindly uh, just don't have that much black on top of the head. It, it's interesting, the one that I shot last year, uh, and sometimes too, they'll have almost a translucent ivory, if you mm -hmm. will, tips. And sometimes those can be bis 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 hard to see is yeah. what I'm trying to say and you look at them and you go oh my gosh he's okay and then all of a sudden there's a different background and you go mm. oh my goodness yeah. and that's kind of the case with the one that I shot last year that my gracious it was one of those that curved way back down and it mm -hmm. turned out to be a 17 and a half inch antelope which is a good inch and a half, almost two inches longer than anything I'd ever yeah. shot before. Yeah, and all those translucent tips, they're hard to see if, are. if the lighting condition or the background is is not such. And, and like you say, uh, occasionally uh, they strike you as being an inch, inch and a half shorter than what they actually are, and then you get to looking at them a bit closer, and it's like, oh, man, he's he's not a 13 and a half inch, or he's a 15 inch. <laughs> exactly. and, uh, so, but... Uh, in terms of, of what you recommend, what do you recommend guys bring? Or I know you have both men and ladies hunting, and uh, when when they come, before they come, as far as choice of firearms and calibers, and where do you suggest they sight in? Because these can be animals that you can stock within close range, which I've been able to do, or some instances you have to take a shot that's a lot longer maybe than what you're used to. So what kind of what kind of calibers and, and range practice do you recommend before somebody comes hunting right. out with yeah. you? Yeah, you know, they're a light-skinned um, animal, uh, not real thick skin. Uh, their shoulder scapula bone structure is not real heavy, and they're muscle structure up front is not real thick so they're you know it doesn't take a, a, a as big of a gun as what you would use on some north american big game animals a 243 i consider to be on the lighter side uh, we've had some hunters shooting 22 250 but to me a, a minimum bullet weight of a 100 grain bullet and uh and a bullet that um that's a good solid bullet that gets some expansion but holds its um, its bullet mass is is important on to me on all big game animals and uh, but uh, ideally is a is a hundred and twenty to a hundred and fifty grain bullet on these animals and uh, I like a gun that sighted in dead on at a hundred yards um, we have a good many hunters that show up in camp with their guns shooting two or three inches high at a hundred and um, and what occasionally happens when that gun is sighted in at two or three inches high at 100 yards 
if the animal's at 100 yards, they sometimes don't compensate for that. So they're naturally already hitting a little on the high side. And if they end up hitting a little high, then that means that bullet, that point of impact is up near their spine. So there's a tendency for some guys that have their gun sighted in high at 100 yards to end up shooting a little high on those 100-yard shots. So if a, if a person, if a hunter knows his trajectory and his, his gun well, and he's sighted in dead on at 100 yards, that hunter is going to know where he needs to hold if that animal's at 300 or 350. And, uh, and generally, it's at the top of their back. And uh, so that, that, that would be just a few quick rules of thumb in terms of uh, bullet weight, caliber, and, and, uh, and, and, and where my preference is for that gun to be sighted in. Greg, let's, let's, since you mentioned hunters, let's take a quick break real quick right now and get a few words from some of the guys at DSC, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about uh, maybe the table fair as Sounds far as good. Yeah, the, Longhorns I think the camp, the, the camp cook's been eyeballing us, yes. giving us the, the squinty look over there, so I think that I think breakfast, breakfast is on, we better go get it, and then we'll come back and resume. <laughs> Membership in DSC is so very important, and, and now there is a new level of membership. Yeah, we're really excited about that, Larry. We were really looking at the opportunities for people that wanted to just maybe kind of stick the toe over the line to learn about DSC and what it is. You know, many people are aware of our conservation footprint, where we're engaging, but we wanted to create the opportunity for those that really wanted to learn more about DSC, and we were very successful at that, in my, in my opinion, under the, the creation of this base camp membership. And it's $45 for the year, and what people will receive is the Game Trails quarterly publication. It's just this beautiful publication, as well as the monthly newsletters will be emailed to them. They'll be available online. But very importantly, maybe even equally important, is the fact that they will then receive all of our member action alerts, e-blast, all of the things that are going on, not only in their state, but across North America, but around the world. For example, some pieces of things that we've touched recently, legislation-wise, is bills in California, bills in the U.S. Senate, actions in New Zealand, um, actions in, in the, uh, the European Union, all kinds of things like that, that members can then have a really firm understanding and feel for their engagement and level of support of conservation issues around the world by being a member of DSC. They can see what we're doing. And I anticipate when people, you know, sort of take that first look under the hood and they see what we're doing, that they're going to want to continue to be more and more a part of that organization. And so we're really excited about the launch of that uh, and the opportunity to just kind of bring more people in. Greg Pronghorn Antelope, uh, what do they taste like? You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> I think, pronghorns... Uh, get the short end of the stick when when some hunters start stereotyping certain game meats and um, and my first experience with pronghorns was was one that I shot with archery equipment back in 1983 or 84 up in Wyoming and that's real sagey country up there were you using uh, a flint point and, and a <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, back bow? I was shooting a wasp broadhead. Oh my gracious! Double X seventy five aluminum shaft back then. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and we uh, we both uh, me and a friend were both uh, archery hunting up there, and we stayed out all day in a pit blind. We both shot antelope that day, and 
and uh, we had taken just a sandwich out with us and so when we got back in that evening we were we were starving to death and we'd been talking about if we had any luck we were going to cook up some pronghorn liver and onions when we got there oh, with some gravy and, and uh and have some rice and so we came back in that evening and i was cooking it up and had some onions and garlic and of course it was smelling good and and uh and that was making us even hungrier and we sat down and i took the first bite and i thought hmm this tasted like bile and uh <laughs> i thought maybe i just got a bad yeah piece. Right. and uh and then um uh, Manuel, he took a bite and uh and he kind of looked up at me <laughs> while he was still kind of looking down at the uh at his plate and i took another bite and i said man this tastes horrible <laughs> he said yeah we that's what good onions, right? so he ended up throwing out the the liver and onions and, and making up a, uh, a chili dog or something but uh and the meat off that animal was 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 strong it uh it had a gamey kind of flavor right but uh but the antelope that that are the pronghorns that i've eaten from parts of northern new mexico in particular out here in the trans pecos they're some of the better eating game meats i've ever had and uh, i agree I really like it I, I i totally agree and over the years i've eaten antelope that was edible <laughs> but i've eaten some too that was as good a, as you may as good a game meat as i've ever tasted i was up at jim zumbo's here oh, about a year ago and and jim goes out every year and whatever number of antelope doe permits he can acquire that's how many he ends up shooting and we had some that that was by far the best game meat i've ever eaten and it was very simply prepared so, yeah uh, yeah if somebody comes in i strongly suggest that they take whatever meat they possibly can back and and uh, and you kind of prepare it almost like you do anything else right yeah hit uh, the tenderloin some back straps uh you know i, I generally cook those <clears throat> over a flame to to get a little color on them and then uh, i'll finish them off in the oven but i like to have them you know medium rare because they'll dry out on you pretty oh, yeah. quick yeah it's and, pretty uh, dry meat and then i'll make a demi-glaze sauce to go on top of that and i've you know roasts chicken fries stew meat um you know some of the other traditional dishes they're they're good in all that uh, ground up and, and used uh, for various purposes but they are indeed they're one of my favorite uh, game meats greg we're gonna kind of cut this short a little bit because i know you got some you got a lot of things going on right now the hunting seasons are going on you've been doing a lot of surveys and of course y'all are very much involved in management programs. and i want to quickly just kind of touch on that some as well too because a lot of these properties that you hunt as your company y'all also manage is that correct that's right yeah you know one of the things that we've tried to do since day one uh, when we started this business in 87 was to to not only offer some hunting services to to these landowners and to these hunters but to also provide some you know some wildlife management type services as as well and uh so like the next uh, three days i'll be doing some uh, aerial uh, survey work in this this area of the state right here i still have one two three four different properties to fly this next week and uh but uh but yeah it's uh whether it be aerial survey work or or wildlife management plans or what or what we sometimes call enterprise reports or enterprise plans and then you know through our new business conservation equity partners that terry anderson runs we provide some environmental mitigation work and some forestry work over on the eastern side of the state and uh 
So yeah, we uh, we stay about as busy doing wildlife service related work as we do, you know, hunting or outfitting type work. And that becomes very important in a lot of different ways because one of the things you as a wildlife biologist and you as an understander of business and long-term being here. To me, that's where the management programs come in because this is not just a, we're gonna be here today and tomorrow and then we're gonna shoot everything we can and then go on to another ranch kind of business. Yeah, no, it, uh, I, I agree. It, um, and whether it's a perception matter or, or otherwise, um, you know, one of the things that, that we do try to you know, promote these days because we've been around for 33 years now. We try to put that to use for us and, uh, and use that to illustrate to our landowners in particular that we're not a flash in the pan, fly by nighter, that we're here for the long haul. We've been doing it for, for decades and, and we're going to be here tomorrow too. And so, you know, hopefully those kinds of things help build trust and, uh, and confidence, uh, in our cooperators that we work with so that uh, so that they feel comfortable uh, uh, turning some of this over to us. Well, obviously you're doing a pretty good job of that for a lot of different reasons because some of these ranches you've been hunting for, you haven't just hunted for a year or so, you've hunted these ranches now for numerous years. And we were talking at, at breakfast this morning about a hunt I did in 1991 with you for, I'm sorry, for Desert Mule Deer. Mm -hmm. And y'all are still hunting that same right. property. So yeah. it tells me y'all have done a super job, not only in the hunting program, but also in the management program. Yeah, no, it is. Um, you know, and it's in the business, particularly the hunting business, it's one that one of the weird sides of that is there's so much uncertainty on what can happen from year to year. And, and all these arrangements that we have are temporary. We just don't know if that temporary term is going to be one year or 10 years or, or, or 32 years. And, uh, but, uh, but we are fortunate that we have, uh, you know, the Price family out of Sterling City been working with them for 33 years. And, and this one property right down the road here we've been working with for 20 years. And, and then some of the country back towards Sanderson that you had referenced, uh, you know, uh, 20, 29 years or so. So yeah, it's uh, when <laughs> it's those kind of uh, case studies, if you will, to me are really pretty amazing in that the stars have to line up pretty good for things to, to hold on that long because so many of those properties, they, they get aired down to other I was going to say, there's a change in generation in some of yeah, those times those generational well. changes uh, bring about other changes yes, with, sir. With, the, with the estate planning, too. <laughs> and uh, places sell, um, properties get offered, you know, uh, an enormous amount of money in some cases when they're really good hunting properties. So there's just a lot of pressures that are working against someone in our business to be able to, to maintain that kind of longevity with these relationships. You're exactly right. Now, a lot of that experience that you have gained during that time frame, I understand now from previous conversations that you're about to be finished with a book you've been writing. That's right. Yeah, I've got a book. Uh, it's called The Hunting Business, and uh, I've finished the first draft of the manuscript. Uh, it's about 80, 80 to 82,000 words uh, about 21 chapters and uh and off and on worked on it for 10 years uh, actually started over uh, about two years ago 
And because, you know, since the time that I started, my riding style had changed and a lot of water had had run <laughs> under the bridge. So I, I had to, you know, I really, uh, I had to, I had to put more current information on, on paper. And, and I have uh, Lori Woodward doing the editing on oh, it. And, super uh, editor, super lady as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, a neighbor now. <laughs> yeah, I've turned over some, some work to her in the past. Uh, you know, different uh, short documents that I think are written, written really tight. And I get it back and I think, oh my gosh, this is so much better. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, she's edited uh, five chapters so far. And uh, so we're about uh, almost uh, 25% through the editing process. Good. And then I'll figure out who I'm going to, what I'm going to do as far as the publishing on it, uh, and which route I'm going to go there. But. Exactly. Well, I can't wait to see that book because I know, you know, it's going to, I know this much. I know it's going to be very factual. I know it's going to be based upon real experiences. There may be a little bit of theory in there a time or two, but it's theories that have proven over the years. It is, and it's a, it's kind of a deep dive look at the, the business side of the hunting business. There's not a lot of adventure stuff in there. There's a little bit uh, that I've used to try to illustrate some points but most of it's the business side of the of the hunting business from you know customer service strategies to um, you know staff training to uh, risk management uh, marketing social you know the importance of of, of social media and, and, and trying to put that to work for you instead of against you these days which we have a tendency to sometimes use it against us these days um, you know, basic business management principles from accounting to bookkeeping to clerical stuff. Um, so it's really it's a it's a deep dive look at the at the hunting business, and some of it may be a little on the mundane side to someone that's either not a business owner or in the hunting business. But uh, but I think that uh, for those that uh, that have spent time in in hunting camps in different areas of the world, that that they would. They would enjoy and perhaps appreciate, uh, you know, some of the material that they'll see in the book. I can't wait to see it. I, I, I really appreciate the fact that you've put together this book. You, I, I got tickled there for just a second because you mentioned when you first started this book and then you went back. and Because I kind of remember that probably when you first started, it, we didn't have a whole lot of social media. No, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. I'm glad you're excited to, about the product. I truly am. You're going to get to write the forward in. Oh, you didn't no, even know that. Oh, no, I, no, I didn't. But I, now I, I touched I, on it lightly about a year ago. But, now uh, I truly am honored by God. <laughs> <laughs> Golly, I am truly honored. Thank you so very much. Good gosh. Now it's, I'm going to really have to start. I'm, I'm going to have to do what I send it to Lori and say, okay, Lori. <laughs> Work your magic on Work my stuff, too. Work your magic on mine as well, too. <laughs> Well, I know you're you're looking forward to the Dallas Safari Club convention this year in February, kind of like I am too. So people have an opportunity there to spend some time and visit with you if they yeah. like. Yeah, you know, and we hadn't had a chance to exhibit uh, DSC convention in about five years now. Je you know, when it's held in early January, we're just it's it. Early January is our busiest it's a time, prime of the time whole year. I believe you. I understand. We're wrapping things up and we're putting them back together at the same time, and it's a, it's just a, a real chaotic, um, confusing, busy time of the year for us to, to carve out. You know, almost a week for it myself is. It, and several yeah, staffers it, it, to be it is. there. It's that long. And, and so I'm I'm looking forward to getting back in front of that that market and um, and and helping support the organization. I'm a life member of DSC and 
I love the work that they do. I like their mission and their leadership. Uh, I think Corey Mason is a oh is a great gosh. CEO. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, exhibiting again this year and being able to, uh, to to get more directly in front of, of that audience again. Well, is there going to be another Hank in the in the room with us this year? If you, no, you I don't think there's going to be another there. Hank. I think that uh, that was uh, that was a solo uh, a solo situation there that uh, will, will likely never be repeated by me. I hope it's repeated by somebody else. But it, it well, they're sure going to have to work hard to do it. I'll tell you because people don't have an understanding. And truly, I mean, you're you're a wildlife biologist. You're you do so much for wildlife in so many different ways. They particularly through in the past and continue to with Texas Wildlife Association, but you're a passionate hunter as well. And so I think that to me really helps you in terms of understanding the outfitting business as well from a hunting perspective, from a client perspective, I guess I should say. Yeah, it. I think so. And, um, you know, and for the first 15, 20 years I was in the business, I didn't do a lot of hunting for myself, especially here in Texas. Well, I didn't have a whole lot of time. Yeah, actually. I just didn't have time, and that was it. And uh, and when I had a little slack time, I just I really didn't feel like going out and hunting. So most of the most of the hunting I did over about a 15 or 20 year period was a generally an international trip that I'd take somewhere, or maybe even a North American trip uh, with someone else. But um, about 10 years ago, I decided, okay, I'm going to start doing more hunting. Good. for myself here in texas and that's been refreshing and uh and it does it allows me to continue to to look through my world through that lens which i think is important so that you know as a business owner and business manager i keep a, a fresh and current perspective on on various you know fingers of the, of the business and so in some ways i think it's helped me maintain a sharper you know a sharper edge and being able to, to 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 operate this business by spending more time out in the field myself the last 10 years i agree well i'm glad you did i <laughs> I, I felt truly honored to have you and, and hank is, <laughs> as 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 mates as it we was we enjoyed it hank hank told me you know many times afterwards he said that wise and he's a pretty cool cat he's i'm glad you allowed me to bunk with him <laughs> well it was, it was really an honor to say hey i can tell you where hank was scored he was scored at the omni hotel in the room that greg simon and i shared when we were there at yeah, dsc convention yeah. Two, 292 and an eighth net oh and my I, gosh as i've told you i'm not i'm not big into score but this deer was just so special it it was he deserved virtually impossible it, it was, for me not the, to not get hung up on that right so. and it with i know we, we kid about it a lot but it's as much more honestly i think to honor the animal than it was to honor greg simons for taking the animal yeah yeah and we make a good team together yes you do <laughs> Well, I hope you can find one of his teammates this year, the next year, the next we'll year. We'll see. Year. If I don't, it won't be any big deal. I'll have a good time out there, and I've got a couple of friends that'll be out there, so we'll we'll have a good time. I hear the train are coming. By golly, where's the best place to get in touch with you? Uh, just go to our website, and it's got our contact information, wildlifesystems.com, wildlifesystems.com. Greg, thank you. Look forward to our next opportunity to visit. Look forward to it. Thank you, Larry. DSC's Untamed Heritage is also brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Wildlife Systems, serving hunters and landowners since 1987. Kenetrek Boots, 
for the trail less traveled. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Pyramid Air, your one stop for everything air gun.